You're listening to Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Welcome to Compassion Radio. We're starting a new series today on Psalm 51. We've done a long series already of the Psalms of David, and this is probably one of the most crucial ones for us because it deals with some really serious issues, and it's not going to be an easy ride, but I'm glad that you're doing it with me here. Mm, Thank you. I'm glad to be doing it as well. It's one that I wasn't thrilled about doing. It's going to be a long and winding chat, I think, because we're going to go through a lot of things that have become buzzwords. We're going to tackle some of the elephants in the room. We're also going to celebrate that God has allowed this psalm to come to us across all these centuries for his purposes, and that it still has the power to heal. But I don't want people to assume that we're going to have simple, pat, and trite answers to how to deal with moral failures. So I want to start off, first of all, by just introducing the theme of this chapter in Psalm. What is it about chapter 51 of Psalms that is so significant to people who have read it through the past 3,000 years? Your take first. Well, I think it's significant because it is, again, as David always does, a complete purging of his inner voice. Mm. David has shown us how to do this repeatedly throughout the Psalms that he's written, how to lament, how to worship, how to confess. He's just very prolific in his writing and the way he expresses himself. David gives words to us often when we don't feel like we have the words. Many people are not poetic writers or even prose writers for that matter. They don't think creatively or as intricately as David does and, and maybe don't feel as deeply or maybe they do, but just don't know how to express it. And David helps people to do that, I think. The strange thing for me looking back on this one across all this time is realizing that there are some things about this song that are very personal and, as you say, purging. It's also a pop song. He's okay. singing about the thing he failed at and the, the way he's broken a relationship, the heartache that comes with losing a relationship. The relationship at the center of the story here, people have assumed, is David and Bathsheba. This psalm is not about Bathsheba and David and his moral failings toward her. It is about his broken relationship with God. Mm-hmm. It's a broken love story about him and his intimacy with God. He's suddenly feeling and experiencing real separation from the thing he always thought was so close to him. He always felt like he was on the moral high ground. He was called by God to go do great and mighty things from a young age. He fought beasts. He fought kingdoms. He fought all kinds of things. And now he is the king. There's so many things that he's conquered in his life that he assumed he could do no wrong. That's Mm -hmm. what I see him entering into Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And now he has plowed so deep, like an airplane hitting the ground at a thousand miles an hour, there's no getting out of this. So he's starting there. I would say my first read on this psalm is that David is going to help us understand him and what he was feeling in his relationship with God. Not about all the restorative justice issue that should come from this. There's no mention even of the woman he has wronged in this psalm. There's no mention of the confession that had to come after being called out, after being found out by Nathan the prophet. All we know is that the introduction to this psalm says, literally, this was written after Nathan cornered him and said, you're the man that did this great sin. I don't think David was trying to be an example for us. No, I don't think so either. But nonetheless... 
he is an example for us of the right way to respond when confronted with a terrible sin that we've committed. I would say a right way to start. Well, yeah, but he doesn't, when Nathan confronts him, say, well, you know, this, or he doesn't, he yeah, doesn't no blame Bathsheba for yeah. taking a bath, or he doesn't blame Uriah for not going home when he told him to. Nothing. He owns his wrong. He owns what he did here and says, absolutely, Nathan, you caught me. I'm the one. I'm the guy that did this. But it also is sad that we have to admit that the greatest worship leader of faith history that we know of, Mm -hmm. David himself, wasn't morally upright enough to say, I need to repent of this before he was called out. Yeah. And that's a really distinctive point for me. Yeah. We're dealing with a man who has been caught not just in a sin, but caught in a cover-up. There is no good way to resolve this. I don't want to learn a lesson about how to deal with my sin from David here. What I want to find from David is, when I really blow it, is there anything on the other side that is bringing hope to me or can Mm -hmm. bring hope? Mm -hmm. Is there something there? And I do think he addresses that. Yeah. We're going to read from a couple of modern translations to help get a little more of the emotional context of this, because a lot of us have read Psalm 51 in King James or in North American Standard Versions, and it's very stilted in some ways in English. But these two translations, the voice and the passion, are very lively, and they really bring to the front the very emotions that seem realistic and are really truly happened in the heart of David in this tough, tough time. Yeah. We're just going to go through verse 7 today. Um, And I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. Oh God, give me mercy from your fountain of forgiveness. I know your abundant love is enough to wash away my guilt. Because your compassion is so great, take away the shameful guilt of my sin. Forgive the full extent of my rebellious ways and erase this deep stain on my conscience, for I am so ashamed. I feel such pain and anguish within me. I can't get away from the sting of my sin against you, Lord. Everything I did, I did right in front of you. You saw it all. Against you and you above all have I sinned. Everything you say to me is infallibly true, and your judgment conquers me. Lord, I have been a sinner from birth, from the moment my mother conceived me. I know that you delight to set your truth deep in my spirit. So come into the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom. Purify my conscience. Make this leper clean again. Wash me in your love until I am pure in heart. And now from the voice translation. Look on me with a heart of mercy, O God, according to your generous love. According to your great compassion, wipe out every consequence of my shameful crimes. Thoroughly wash me inside and out of all my crooked deeds. Cleanse me from my sins, for I am fully aware of all I have done, and my guilt is there staring me in the face. It was against you, only you, that I sinned, for I have done what you say is wrong right before your eyes. So when you speak, you are in the right. When you judge, your judgments are pure and true. For I was guilty from the day I was born, a sinner from the time my mother became pregnant with me. But still, you long to enthrone truth throughout my being. In unseen places deep within me, you show me wisdom. Cleanse me of my wickedness with hyssop, and I will be clean. 
If you wash me, I will be whiter than snow. I see a lot of parallels in the way the emotion is manifested in the word pictures between these two translations. Mm-hmm. I do see some divergent points here, and there's one I want to bring up right away that is real important, I think, to our understanding of restorative justice, which we'll talk about over the course of this study. In verse 4, in this translation, it says, It was against you, only you, that I sinned. Mm -hmm. The Passion Translation has a little bit different rendering, and it's not a common one. What does it say there? Against you, and you above all, have I sinned. The differences in these two phrases are striking to me. Yeah. And they have different consequences, too, about what's required of us and what's coming next. If we say we have only done this, or we have done this to only this person then there's no others involved. Mm -hmm. And many translations, if not most that I've read in English, say, only you, Lord, have I sinned against. That one says, above all I have. And that's an open statement. It's indicating to me that there is a bigger picture here that goes beyond just what we're talking about right now. And I have to acknowledge that one. We'll put a pin in it, put it on the board over here for right now, Mm because I want to deal with my emotions and your rightful judgment of me. But the consequences and the outflow of my sin don't just disappear because I've confessed it. That is one of the key things for me. And I think in English, most of the time, we lose that in this psalm by saying, you, only you, Lord, have I sinned against. Because he hasn't just sinned against God. And this translation to me doesn't really capture that because I think he's lying if he's really saying that. He has, in fact, sinned against somebody else. Yeah, multiple people in this case. Yeah, I think you're right, honey. I think it's important to really emphasize that when we commit wrong, when we commit sin, it does grieve the heart of God. I mean, God is saddened by that. But God sees the bigger picture, the whole picture of it all. Those around us that we have harmed with our sin are people affected by the outcomes and the consequence of it. And that needs to be addressed. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry. These are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. Will you help us get ready for the next Big Faith Challenges and Opportunities of this year? Your gift today will provide the means for us to begin some new initiatives with our Bible and relief partners that reach farther than we've ever gone before. Here's how. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. It's available 24-7. Our safe and secure order form there will get your gift to the places needed most and we'll do it right away. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time Business Hours at 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone no matter where you are. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. However you give, we'd love to hear more about why you believe in Compassion Radio. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. I think it's important to really emphasize that when we commit wrong, when we commit sin, it does grieve the heart of God. I mean, God is saddened by that. 
But God sees the bigger picture, the whole picture of it all. Those around us that we have harmed with our sin are people affected by the outcomes and the consequence of it. And that needs to be addressed. I don't know, and we don't read in Second Samuel where this story comes from, where Nathan confronts David about this sin. We don't really know if David actually went to Bathsheba and confessed to her his, his grievous wrong against her and her family. He's broken up an entire family. Yeah. We don't know if she and Uriah had children between themselves. Mm-hmm. We don't really know how anything was restored other than she was brought into the palace and then King Solomon is a result of their relationship. But I think it's important that you and I talk about this and that yeah. we do make a point of this, that when we sin, yes, it is against God. It does affect our immediate relationship with God, but it also affects others around us. And will continue to, even for generations. Yeah. And many of us are the product of situations like this that have broken families and have destroyed reputations Mm -hmm. and have obliterated people's calling and ministry in life because they chose a path of transgressions. Right. Again, we use the word sin in English to cover a whole bunch of things, a whole Mm -hmm. multitude of sins. Yeah. But sin itself is understood scripturally to be of differing layers of intensity, of gravitas. There are sins which miss the mark, there are transgressions which break the rules, and there are iniquities which are purposeful rebellions and destruction against God. Mm -hmm. One can lead to the next, to the next, and people's lives can go down a very deep hole and become willfully evil. Yeah. All of these things, God says, don't just miss the mark like bad boy, do better tomorrow. They corrupt us. They spoil us in ways that condemn us further. And not God coming back to us saying, remember that time you did this thing? Because God does not do that. We know the devil does. The devil will bring up every little infraction he can come up with to remind you how stupid, idiotic you are. (laughs) Which is not fair to us because we are valued and loved by God. But God himself, in his love, knows full well where sin leads, where transgression leads, where iniquity leaves us. Mm He's got it all at heart. He knows this. He also knows how our missing the mark with him affects other people, how it is missing the mark with others that we love or say we do, how our transgressions lead us away from him and lead us away from others. He knows how our iniquities, our willful, ignorant commission of transgressions and sins and garbage in our lives hurts everybody, people around us, our families, even our nations, in our history. Mm-hmm. People have chosen paths. We see great examples. I won't say great isn't good, but magnificent examples of corruption that have led to extraordinary destruction of humanity over the centuries. And we can pick uh, all kinds of interesting historical figures which were transformative in their times because of their iniquity. God is not looking to give out awards or Oscars to people who have stepped in to become the worst of the worst. He's not sponsoring a competition here by right. who could be the worst. Yeah. And who's going to be the best to be redeemed? David seems like he's saying, woe is unto me because I'm the worst of the worst. That's a genuine emotion if it's really true in him. And we believe it's true because it stood the test of time. But what he's, again, dealing with here in this psalm is his personal song of comeuppance. Yeah. Admitting to God, I really screwed up here. And you are absolutely right to take any steps against me. You are just. Mm -hmm. You have the right to be just against me right now. And that's soul-crushing. He's throwing himself on the mercy of the court, him being the only court in his mind at this time. But you know what? Again, to the point of people who are harmed, there are other courts out there. 
There are other places where judgment is passed. And we all know that. We can win a case in court and lose the public opinion of us the rest of our lives because our reputation has been destroyed. Or we don't care. We go marching off in our lives and get ourselves to a life of transgression and iniquity because we've already blown it so much. Who's ever going to believe us anyway? Why try? Hmm. You know, do you think it's appropriate to step into this confession before God the way he's doing it poetically without itemizing his sins? Because he's not doing that here. He's not saying what I did wrong. Well, I'm drawn to verse three, where David says, I am fully aware of all I have done wrong. And my guilt is there staring me in the face. Mm. Now, we know that Nathan has just itemized all of his sin in front of him. Nathan has given him this story of a rich man had a guest come into town. And so he stole the poor man's prized lamb and cooked it for his guest when he had flocks and flocks of sheep. And Nathan is comparing him to Uriah the Hittite and saying, you have stolen Uriah's prize. Mm-hmm. You've stolen his prized possession as women were thought of in those days. And stolen his heritage, his legacy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so Nathan has itemized those things. Um, do I think it's important for us to itemize our own sin? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah. Is there anything about David's situation that's different than ours, perhaps, that would not require him to itemize? And is it, in fact, important to say, these are the things I've done wrong and confess to the court, whatever that court is, this is how I've done wrong. Well, as you said earlier, this is the result of his um, interaction with the prophet Nathan. So we don't know what has all transpired between that interaction and then him writing this song. So there could be that. There could be that David has laid out before the Lord on the floor and just confessed it all out loud. And then this is the product of that confession, the service of worship and confession that comes out of that time. Or if the Holy Spirit guiding David didn't prompt him to write those things down in this song. We don't really know that. I think there are times when if we are not willing to be fully aware, I have to go back to verse three, where he says, I am fully aware. I absolutely know what I've done wrong. And it's staring me in the face. Yeah. I look in the mirror, staring me at the face. Nathan was kind of his mirror that day. Yeah. Just because those actual things are not written in this song does not mean they're not there for us to know about. Yeah. Because this does refer back to Second Samuel 11, and the whole story is laid out for us. Yeah, I would think in, in David's case, he was writing a songbook all of his life. Mm-hmm. So those are part of the common language of worship in the time. And he also was being chronicled. Every sovereign of a nation is being chronicled. So he's got to know this is going to become part and parcel of the whole story. So he doesn't need to be writing all this stuff down right now. He's already got scribes all around him recounting his sins. And he's probably allowing it to happen. So there's something about the honest confession before the people that he's allowing to continue. They didn't run around secretly writing this history down. They wrote it. And they committed it to papyrus or whatever they were writing on at the time. It was part of the national identity mm-hmm. at this point because the nation was fully invested in him and he and it. Israel was God's expression for a people on earth at the time. Mm-hmm. So he knows it's going to be out there. He can't hide from those facts that are already on the front lines of every paper in the land. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. He's doing his part, which only he can do, which is speak in his own voice. And I don't know if he started this kind of confession by actually sitting down writing the poem, or if he just laid down there and went through that whole grieving process saying, God, spare my son with Bathsheba. 
But back to the idea of the stealing of the lambs, when it all comes down to that first consequence of his sin, Bathsheba has lost a husband. She has now lost a son. And that son has become kind of like a sacrificial lamb Mm. from David. This one will not be yours. God says, I'm taking this one. That seems a very severe judgment against a child. And yet, in the economy of God, we don't know all that was happening there. Mm -hmm. But we do know it seems really severe. And it certainly felt severe for David and Bathsheba to go through double and triple grief. And yet, that's the way this whole thing started. And we know later that more grief came from that over the years that ended up splitting the entire nation. Even his own son Solomon, as venerated as he is for his wisdom, ended up following all kinds of similar paths in his life and repeated a lot of the same mistakes and then doubled down on them Mm -hmm. as David. And it was a messy, messy, awful situation. And it affected millions and millions of people over history because of that. So we got to know that our sin is going to have consequences. We also have to be courageous enough to allow God to forgive us where we are and to help us survive to be still his and not to be lost to God and lost to heaven Mm -hmm. and lost to truth. We need to hope somehow that no matter how bad it got, that somehow we have a path back to a God who will love us even in the midst of all this ugliness. Mm -hmm. Earlier this morning, I was reading in Lamentations where scripture tells us that God's mercies are new every morning. The whole book is about a lament over the nation. But then this little part just sticks out there, and he says, Certainly the faithful love of the Lord hasn't ended. Mm. Certainly God's compassion isn't through. They are renewed every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I will say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. So even in this time of lament, in this time of confession of sin, we can remember Mm. that the mercy of the Lord is faithful and true, and it's new for us every morning. And to remember something in biblical terms means to confess it, Mm -hmm. to establish it, to agree with it, to say to the world, I'm in agreement with what God says about himself. So yeah, his newness comes with the morning. And when I think about it being refreshed every day, I think about the the daily portion of manna Mm -hmm. being given to the people. So many parallels. That comes to us as God gives it. For that day and for that day alone, we're going to have to start over tomorrow because it'll need a new dose of mercy for us to get through that day. But we will trust that God has something for us today and that he has not forgotten our tomorrows. Mm. There's a lot to be said even on that last verse about the significance of hyssop. I think we'll pick up next week's program on part two of Psalm 51 with that significant element of the healing and restoration of David mm. that he mentions, which is hyssop. And that goes all through the Bible with very deep significance. We'll explore that on next Compassion Radio, Chasing the Word. Thank you for joining us today. Remember that there's a study guide, which is basically a prompt, asking you questions that you might want to ask God to have him ask of you in your heart about situations where you might have been the recipient of someone else's evil. Maybe you've failed yourself and have had a hard time reconciling that God wants to and does still love you in the things you've suffered because of the things you've done. Those kind of questions might be helpful for you in your Bible study, and we'd love to have you get a copy of that from the webpage at CompassionRadio.com. Every one of the broadcasts on our Psalms series has a study guide you can download for your use. We'd love to have you have that today, so check that out at CompassionRadio.com. We'll see you tomorrow for the next Compassion Radio. For I am frail of heart, my strength is gone, but deep
Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We need you, friend, so contact us today.